نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Well, the praise belongs to Allah, we praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness, and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray, and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. And I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone, and that He has no partners. And I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger. <coughs> uh, we would like to just quickly, as we normally do in the beginning of the dars, review the hadith which we took in the previous lecture. And now we are uh, taking the hadith from the Bab al-Imamah for those things related to the responsibility and the role of the Imam who leads the Salat, the Imam of Salat. And we took three hadith in the previous lecture, hadith number 72, the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu, and the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, قال, أما يخشى أحدكم أو لا يخشى أحدكم إذا رفع رأسه قبل الإمام أن يجعل الله رأسه رأس حمار أو يجعل الله سورته سورة الحمار أبو هريرة صدق الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم said doesn't one of you or don't you fear do not you fear يعني if one of you raises your head before the imam يعني from ركوع when the imam is coming up from ركوع don't you fear, if you raise your head before the Imam, that Allah would transform your head into the head of a donkey, or that Allah would, Allah would make your image, or your shape, or your form, or your face, in the form of a donkey. And this hadith is recorded by Al-Bukhari and Muslim, as uh, all of the hadith in uh, our book, Umdat Al-Ahkam, are either recorded by Al-Bukhari, and Muslim or one of them. So uh, here in this hadith, the Shaykh uh, mentions a number of points, but before that there is some ikhtilaf concerning the matter of the person who is following an Imam, preceding the Imam. The scholars are in agreement that it is prohibited, that it is haram, that it is forbidden for anyone following the Imam to precede the Imam due to this severe threat contained in this hadith that perhaps someone who precedes the Imam Allah may transform their image or their shape or their form or their head into the form of the head of a donkey or otherwise. Imam Ahmed in his essay uh, entitled Laysa Liman Salaka Al-Imam Salat that the one who precedes the Imam has no Salat 
يعني spirit in valid. And also his students they say that whoever precedes the Imam in any of the arkan, the pillars of the salat, such as ruku or sujood, if anyone precedes the Imam in any one of these, then he should return uh, to that position and wait for the Imam and then after the Imam perform or return to that position and he's following the Imam and if he uh, if he didn't do so and if he preceded the Imam and didn't return to his position and perform that act again after the Imam if he didn't do so intentionally intentionally preceding the Imam then his salat is invalid uh, Here the Sheikh says that the correct opinion concerning this is that if anyone precedes the Imam intentionally, preceding the Imam intentionally invalidates the Salat, and this is the opinion of Sheikh Islam ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, because the threat in this uh, hadith, the threat of the Prophet wasallam, that someone's head would be transformed to the head of a donkey, this threat uh, indicates that to do so is prohibited and uh, any act which is prohibited that act if someone does so it spoils the act of worship and causes it to be invalid and this is a general rule especially amongst the scholars of the Hanbali fiqh uh, Hanbali madhab that any uh, prohibition that comes in the Quran or in the Sunnah a prohibition indicates uh, that that thing is forbidden and it also indicates that the act is invalid and unacceptable so they said if anyone preceded the Imam intentionally and, and it is prohibited to do so then their salat became invalid from this hadith the Shaykh mentions six or seven points uh, the first of them that it is prohibited to raise one's head before the Imam from Sajda or from Ruku due to the threat mentioned in the Hadith which indicates that such an action is prohibited secondly the second point he said that also even though in the hadith the text of the hadith indicates that it is prohibited to raise one's head before the imam from ruku also falling under this ruling is preceding the imam in any other action of any other movement in the salat yani going to ruku or, or raising from ruku or going to sajda or raising up from sajda any of the movements of, of the Salat are also included under this ruling that whoever precedes the Imam it is prohibited and according to the Hamdali scholars of Imam Ahmed it invalidates the Salat uh, and he also mentions here that this, this opinion or this uh, position that all other movements in the Salat are also included this is not only yeah, I mean, this uh, uh, 
judgment or ruling is not only derived from Qiyas but it is also based upon an authentic hadith uh, hadith reported by Al-Fazzar on the authority of Abu Hurairah عنه, which he attributed to the Prophet وسلم, that whoever bows or raises up before the Imam then his forelock is in the hand of Shaitan Number three, from this hadith also, it is derived that it is obligatory for the follower to uh, follow the Imam in all of his actions in the Salat. I mean, whatever the Imam does in the Salat, he is to be followed by the people who are behind him. Also, from this hadith, that the reward for one's actions are in kind. Yeah, I mean, the reward for one's actions are like the action itself, and for this reason, in the hadith it is mentioned uh, that whoever raises their head, whoever raises their head before the Imam, then the punishment would be in their head, that is, the threat that their head would be transformed into the uh, uh, form of the head of a donkey. Number five, the threat of the one who precedes the Imam that his head would be transformed into the form of a donkey this it may be understood from it is due to the fact that the donkey uh, is considered to be a stubborn and unintelligent animal and so there is a comparison between the human being uh, stubbornness and ignorance or stupidity in uh, raising or moving or preceding the Imam and the Salat is similar to the action or the characteristics of the donkey number six that the one who precedes the Imam their preceding the Imam is an indication that they are in a hurry to get out of the Salat and the Shaykh says that the cure for this sickness of being in a hurry to get out of the Salat it is to remember that the person who is anxious to get out of the Salat they should remind themselves that there is no need to hurry in the Salat because they cannot complete the prayer before the Imam. Yeah, I mean, no one can get out of the prayer until the Imam makes Taslim. Whoever uh, left the prayer before the Imam makes Taslim, then their prayer is invalid. So there is no need to rush in any other part of the prayer since you cannot complete the prayer until the Imam completes the prayer. Uh, finally, he says that the threat of changing one's shape or image to the shape or image of a donkey it is something possible but we do not have any report of such happening so perhaps uh, the meaning here of transformation of the form of a person uh, it means here their characteristics and taking on the characteristics of a donkey not necessarily the physical form and in any case we understand the meaning 
uh, even if it didn't happen, it is a threat and it is possible that Allah may punish someone for doing so uh, as the Prophet ﷺ mentioned in this hadith Allah may do it or He may uh, forgive the person if He wills the next hadith, hadith number 73, the hadith of Abu Hurairah anhu, that the Prophet said إِنَّمَا جُعِلَ الْإِمَامِ لِيُؤْتَمَّ بِي that really the Imam was made to be followed فَلَا تَخْتَلِفُ عَلَيْهِ so don't contradict him uh, or oppose him in his actions فَإِذَا كَبَّرَ فَكَبِّرُوا when he makes takbir, when he says Allahu Akbar then after that you should say Allahu Akbar وَإِذَا رَكَعَ فَرْكَعُوا and if he bows then you should bow وَإِذَا قَالَ سَمِعَ اللَّهُ لِمَنْ حَمِدَ and if he says Allah listens to the one who praises him فَقُولُوا then you, that is the people who found the Imam should say Allahumma Rabbana laka alhamd wa Rabbana laka alhamd as it came in different narrations O oh Allah, O oh our Lord, the praise belongs to you وَإِذَا سَجَدَ فَسْجُدُوا and if he makes prostration, the Imam, if he makes prostration when the people are ordered to make prostration after him وَإِذَا صَلَّ جَالِسًا and if he prays sitting فَصَلُّوا جُلُوسًا أَجْمَعِينَ then the people also should pray sitting, all of them. In some of the narration of this hadith, the Prophet ended the hadith by saying, and complete the lines in prayer. This is in another narration, not the one that's mentioned here in the book. Uh, complete the lines in the prayer, verily, completing the prayers, or completing the lines and making them straight, this is part of and in the perfection of the Salat. <coughs> the next hadith which is similar to this hadith and the Shaykh mentions them together uh, is the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha قالت, she said Salla Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fi baytihi wa huwa shakin that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam prayed in his house while he was sick, he was ill فَصَلَّ جَالِسًا due to his sickness he prayed sitting وَصَلَّى وَرَاءَهُ قَوْمٌ قِيَامًا Then some people came behind him and they performed the prayer behind him standing. فَأَشَارَ إِلَيْهِمْ أَنِجْلِسُوا The Prophet ﷺ pointed, indicating to them that they should sit. فَلَمَّا انْصَرَفَ قَالْ Then when he finished the prayer, when he finished from the prayer he said to them إِنَّمَا جُعْلَ الْإِمَامِ لِيُعْتَمَّ بِي Verily the Imam has been made to be followed. فَإِذَا رَكَعَ فَرْكَعُوا وَإِذَا رَفَعَ فَرْفَعُوا وَإِذَا قَالَ سَمِعَ اللَّهُ لِمَنْ حَمِدَ فَقُولُوا رَبَّنَا وَلَكَ الْحَمْدُ وَإِذَا صَلَّ جَالِسًا فَصَلُّوا جُلُوسًا أَجْمَعُونَ So the Prophet ﷺ, uh, when he finished the prayer, he instructed them saying that barely the Imam, the purpose of the Imam standing in front of the people is that he should be followed. The Imam is made to be followed, so when he makes ruku, then you also should make ruku, you should bow. And when he raises up, you should raise up. And when he says, Allah listens to the one who praises him, then you should say, Our Lord, the praise belongs to you. And if the Imam prays sitting, then the people are ordered to pray sitting also. These two hadith concerning, <coughs> generally deal with the issue following the Imam, that the Imam is made to be followed, but more specifically, they both discuss the issue of what the followers should do if the Imam, due to inability to pray sitting, 
and the people who are behind him are capable of standing, what should they do? The scholars differed concerning this, uh, what is contained in this hadith of Halam the Imam. The first difference of opinion is dealing with the correctness of uh, the person who is praying an obligatory prayer, following someone who is praying a natural prayer. And is the prayer acceptable for a person who is praying an obligatory prayer if they are following behind an imam who is praying a voluntary, a natural prayer? My first opinion is the opinion of the scholars of the Maliki Madhab and Hanafi Madhab and it is also the most well-known opinion of the Hanbali Madhab I mean the three Imams Malik or the three Madhabs Malikiya, Hanafiya and Hanbaliya or Hanabila they said that it is incorrect that the prayer is not acceptable of a person who is praying an obligatory prayer to follow someone who is praying an apple prayer and they used as proof uh, this hadith and the words of the hadith where the Imam is made to be followed so don't contradict him or differ from him and if the Imam is praying an apple prayer and the people following him should also be praying an apple prayer this is their opinion uh, they said that if the follower is praying an obligatory prayer and the Imam is praying an apple voluntary prayer then he has differed and he has differed from the Imam in his niyyah, his intention and that the niyyah or intention or difference in the niyyah or intention is the most important type of difference or the most dangerous type of difference or the most severe difference because all actions are based upon intentions the second opinion is the opinion of al-shafi'i and al-awza'i and al-tabari rahimahumullah may Allah have mercy on all of them and they said that the prayer of the one who is praying an obligatory prayer is correct and acceptable even following the Imam who is praying a voluntary prayer and there is also a narration from Imam Ahmed that he held this opinion and it is one of the two opinions of Imam Ahmed and from amongst the scholars of the Hanbali Madhab that also held this opinion is Ibn Qudama and Shaykh Islam Ibn Taymiyyah and his student Ibn Qayyim and they use as a proof the hadith of Mu'az Ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu which is recorded by Bukhari and Muslim كانوا يصلي مع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ثم يرجع فيصلي بقومه تلك الصلاة. They used to pray with the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم the obligatory prayer and then he used to return to his village or his area of his people where he was the Imam of them and he used to lead his people in that very same prayer and he performed the prayer twice once once with the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم uh, and then a second time he performed the prayer leading the prayer leading his people in prayer in this area so they said that this is a proof because of the fact that he prayed the obligatory prayer with the Prophet ﷺ and then returned to his people and performed the prayer again in that case he was performing he was leading the prayer uh, as an Imam performing a voluntary prayer while the people behind him they were performing their obligatory prayer uh, <coughs> and also they use as another proof the fact that the Prophet ﷺ prayed with some of his companions on the battlefield Salat al-Khawf he led them in prayer two rakat and then he made taslim 
And then those people who prayed with him returned to the battlefield and other followers, other of his companions came and joined with him and he led them in prayer to Raqqa uh, and made Taslim and this is reported by Abu Dawood and others. No doubt one of those prayers was his obligatory prayer and the other one was a voluntary prayer. So at least in one of those he was praying, he was leading the people as the Imam while he was praying a voluntary prayer and the people behind him were praying obligatory prayer. They said concerning the proof of the first proof, they said that uh, the, the words of the Prophet in the hadith that we are taking now, uh, don't differ or contradict the Imam. They said this means in the actions of the Imam, not in intention. And perhaps this is proven by the fact that the Prophet ﷺ in that hadith demonstrated after saying the Imam is made to be followed and don't contradict him or differ from him. Then we mentioned as an example the things that you shouldn't differ with the Imam in and all of those who are actions or speech. Also, the second point about which there is a difference of opinion from this hadith is the people who are following the Imam praying sitting. The Imam is sitting due to his inability, but the people following him are capable of standing, yet uh, they prayed sitting. The scholar is different. Is it permissible for the people who are capable to pray sitting? because the Imam is incapable while they are capable or should they pray standing? The first opinion is the opinion of the Zahiriya, the literalist, and Al-Imam Al-Awza'i and Ishaq ibn Rahawai, Rahimahumullah. They said, uh, that, the imam, that the people who are following the Imam, they should pray behind the Imam who is incapable of standing, uh, that they should pray sitting. Even though they are capable of standing, even though they are capable of standing, they should pray sitting. If the Imam is sitting, then they should also sit like him. And they use as proof the hadith which we mentioned here, uh, and other, other similar hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ prayed sitting, and he told the people to pray sitting, even though they were capable of standing. The second opinion is the opinion of the two Imams, Abu Hanifa and Ash-Shafi'i, rahimahumullah, and others besides them. Uh, who held the opinion that it is not permissible for the person who is capable of standing to sit because the Imam is sitting uh, who is incapable of standing. Yani it's not permissible for the one who is capable to stand to sit. The one who is capable of standing must stand. And they use as a proof <coughs> for their opinion that if the Imam is sitting, the people who are capable of standing behind him must stand that the Prophet وسلم, when he prayed, when he led the people in prayer in his final illness, the illness from which he passed, he prayed sitting while Abu Bakr followed him praying standing and the people followed behind him, behind Abu Bakr also praying standing. This hadith recorded by Al-Bukhari Muslim. They said that this is the final action of the Prophet and if there are authentic reports in the hadith from the Prophet which appear to be contradictory 
then if it's not possible to make reconciliation between them, uh, then the final action or the final statement of the Prophet ﷺ takes precedence over the previous statement. This is called al-nasikh wal-mansukh. The nasikh is the final statement and the mansukh, that which is abrogated, is the previous or earlier statement. There's a long discussion about this, no need to repeat all of it. Uh, this is a summary of the difference of opinion, and also yani from this hadith, the Shaykh mentions a lot of points. Inshallah, we'll try to mention some of them quickly. From amongst the rulings or judgments or benefits from this hadith is that it is obligatory for the follower to follow the Imam in the Salat, and it is haram or forbidden for him for anyone to precede the Imam, to go ahead of him. Also, to contradict or to conflict in any of the actions of the prayer with the Imam is also prohibited in that it invalidates the Salat. Contradicting the Imam and in any of the actions of the prayer invalidates the Salat. Uh, and this is based on the position of the Hanbali Madhab that whatever is prohibited uh, is forbidden and whatever is forbidden is invalid. So the salat in which someone does something that is prohibited, their salat is invalid. And now all the scholars agree with this rule. But anyway, this is one opinion. Number three, uh, <clears throat> that the most preferable thing for the follower in the prayer is that their actions should also should always be after the actions of the Imam. And immediately after the Imam, the followers should proceed to the position of the Imam in Ruku or in Sujood or whatever. Some of the scholars of Fiqh said that it is Makru to move or to proceed in, to any uh, position in the prayer with the Imam exactly. Yeah, I mean to, to move exactly with the Imam. And that it is, and that this is Makru. And the preferable thing is after the Imam reaches Ruku or bowing, then we should immediately follow him and bow, and so also with other positions. Number four, that if the Imam prays sitting, due to his inability, then the people behind him should pray sitting, even though they are capable of standing, in order to fulfill the rule of following the Imam. This is according to one of the opinions, as we said, there is difference of opinion concerning this. Also, that the follower, the ma'amun, they should say, Rabbana lakal ham, when the Imam says, Sami'allahu liman hamida. One of the scholars of the Maliki Madhab, who explained the Mawatta of Imam Malik ibn Abdul Dar, rahimahullah, he said <coughs> that I don't know that there's any difference concerning the fact that the person who prays alone should make both of these statements. That is, Sami Allah liman hamila wa rabbana lakal hamd. The one who prays alone should make both of these statements. Al Hafiz ibn Hadi al Askarani, in his explanation of Al Bukhari, his book Fat al Bari, he said, As for the Imam, 
he also should say Sami Allah and he should say Rabbana he should say both of them as has been authentically reported in another place in Al-Bukhari that the Prophet وسلم, used to say both of them so the Imam says both of them the followers only say Rabbana and if anyone prays alone they do as the Imam they say they make both statements number six that of the wisdom of making someone as the Imam in the Salat is that that person should be taken as a model or an example and that they should be followed in their actions. Number seven, that it is permissible to point while praying if there is a need to point to something for someone who is out of the prayer uh, to indicate that they should do something as the Prophet ﷺ pointed to those who were following him to sit in the prayer. It's permissible to, to point or to indicate to someone to move or to sit or to stand or whatever if there's a need for such. Also, in this hadith is, in, is a proof of the This hadith is a proof of the definiteness of following the Imam And the following the Imam takes precedence over other actions. As in this hadith, in the standing of the Ma'moon, the follower has been cancelled in order to follow the Imam who is sitting that they should also sit. Even though that this standing is one of the arkan, one of the pillars of the Salat. And all of this is so that the people will follow the Imam perfectly. Then according to one of the opinions, according to the other opinion, the people who are capable of standing should not uh, sit. But in any case, according to the opinion of those who say that the people should sit with the Imam even if they are capable, then this is, is an indication of the importance of following the Imam even to the extent that the Prophet ﷺ earlier, on the first occasion when he was sick, uh, he ordered the people to sit with him in order to follow the Imam perfectly. Uh, now, this is basically what he said. I think there's one more point uh, from this hadith also we can understand the importance of following the uh, leadership, those in authority, and following the, or abiding by the system in the society uh, and not opposing it. Okay, that's what we took in the last... Um, in the previous uh, lecture, the hadith that we want to discuss tonight start with hadith number 75. What time is that then? 7.15? Hadith number 75. Did everyone get one of these papers? Hadith number 75 is also a continuation of the bab of al-imamah, or the role, <laughs> the role of uh, the imam, the responsibility to the imam, and the relationship of the people to the Imam. Hadith number 75, uh, under the title, as Imam al-Bukhari reported this hadith under the title, When should those who are behind the Imam prostrate? When should those who are behind the Imam prostrate? The hadith of Abdullah ibn Yazid al-Khatmi al-Ansari radiallahu anhu he said, حدثني البراء 
that is Al-Bara ibn Azib radiallahu anhu who ghayra kadhub and he was not a liar some of the scholars said that wahu ghayru kadhub is not referring to Al-Bara who was a sahabi but it's referring to Abdul ibn Yazid the narrator from Al-Bara who the scholars differ about whether or not he was a companion of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam they differed about Abdullah ibn Yazid who reported from Al-Bara and some of the scholars said that actually this statement وَهُوَ غَيْرُ الْكَذُوبِ refers to Abdullah ibn Yazid and not to Al-Bara in any case the meaning if it refers to Al-Bara it means it was meant to indicate the truthfulness or the strength or the authenticity of the hadith um, not uh, that there was any doubt about the truthfulness of Al-Bara he was definitely he was a Sahabi and there's no doubt about him being truthful and if the statement refers to Abdullah ibn Yazid then it was meant as Tazkiyah or confirmation confirmation of the truthfulness of the narrator Abdullah ibn Yazid in any case he said all <coughs> the narrator said that Al-Bara he said كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ إِذَا قَالَ سَمِعَ اللَّهُ لِمَنْ حَمِدَ لَمْ يَحْمِي أَحَدٌ مِنَّا ظَهْرَهُ حَتَّى يَقَعَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ سَاجِدًا That whenever the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would say سَمِعَ اللَّهُ لِمَنْ حَمِدَ Allah listens or Allah hears the one who praises him no one of us would bend his back no one of us would move, he would not, no one of us would bend his back until the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam prostrated. And in other words, when the when the Prophet returned from Ruku saying Sallallahu Alaihi Muhammadah and the people followed him, following him saying Rabbana they used to stand straight and no one would move towards the sajda until the Prophet actually prostrated fully until his forehead was on the ground as reported in some of the hadith they wouldn't move until the Prophet forehead touched the ground at that point they would follow him yani to make sajda or prostration yani they wouldn't bend their back until the Messenger of Allah was in prostration then at that point after he was in fully, fully in prostration then we would also prostrate ba'dahu after him not ahead of him and not along with him but after him uh, the, the Shaykh Abdullah al-Bassam Hafizahullah says in this hadith that the Rawi uh, mentions that the Prophet or the narrator mentions that the Prophet used to lead his companions in their prayer and that the actions of the Ma'moon or the Ma'moonin, those who were following him would be after he completed his movement and if the Prophet went to Ruku bowing they wouldn't move until he was in the bowing position completely and when he went to Sajda they wouldn't move until he was in the prostration position completely so that if the Prophet ﷺ raised from Ruku saying Sami Allah Hamidah after he was standing up completely then his companions would raise up from Ruku also and when he prostrated then they would prostrate from this hadith the Shaykh mentions three points the first of them is that in this hadith there is a description of how the companions 
used to follow the Prophet in the Salat. How they used to follow him in the Salat. And that they didn't used to move from Qiyam, from standing to the prostration position until he was, was fully in prostration. So here's a description of how they used to follow him. In case anyone imagined that they used to move with him, then it becomes clear that they used to wait until he was fully in the prostration, not when he was halfway down, following him a little bit, but when he was in sajda, then they would begin to move towards the sajda. Number two, uh, that it is expected and required that we should follow the Imam in this way. No one should precede the Imam, for this is forbidden and it invalidates the Salat. No one should move along with the Imam because this is makruh and desirable or distasteful or hateful and it causes a defect in the Salat. If anyone moves along with the Imam, it, though it doesn't invalidate the Salat, but it's makruh and it takes away from the perfection of the Salat. And no one should delay after the Imam for a long time. And when the Imam reaches the position that he's going to, no one should wait after that delaying, and he added delay, uh, but that they should follow the Imam immediately. And sometimes some people, perhaps, they have special supplications in sajda, and the Imam may be very quick, and the Imam may come out of sajda and sit, and they may be still in sajda until the Imam makes sajda again, then they come out of sajda. This kind of delay is unacceptable. But in fact, when the Imam comes out of sajda or out of ruku, then we should also follow him, yani, as soon as he reaches position, then we should also then proceed to that position. And no one should precede the Imam, nor should they move exactly with the Imam, nor should they make an extra added delay after the Imam reaches his position. But when the Imam reaches position, then they should follow immediately without delay. <laughs> the third point from this hadith, is that this in this hadith is an indication or proof of the length that the person stands after rising up from ruku. The tama'nina. Tama'nina means the calmness. When the person moves from one position to another, they should remain in that position at least for a short period of time in a calm, relaxed state. This is called tama'nina. And in this hadith is an indication that the Sahaba, they used to do this. They used to remain in each position calmly uh, for some time. The proof of it is that the Prophet used to make takbir and he used to go to sajda and during that period of time, until he actually placed his foot on the ground, they were still standing, uh, after returning from Ruku, they were still standing calmly waiting before they moved. As for the Tama'nina of the Imam, uh, also the Imam should do so. After rising from Ruku and also going to Sajda and returning from Sajda in Jalsa before making the second Sajda, also the Imam should do so. Uh, and this is proven in some hadith which are general, which mention uh, that when anyone, as the Prophet described in another hadith, um, reported by Al-Bukhari and others, 
that when anyone returns from wuku, they should stand calmly. Until they, as reported by Ibn Haddan and his Sahih, until they stand calmly in the standing position after returning from wuku. And he also said the same after every position, that the person should sit after between the prostrations and after rising from ruku and so on. This is one of the important aspects of the salat, tama'nina, calmness or tranquility in every position of the prayer and not rushing through the salat as though we are in a hurry. In the next hadith, hadith number 76, or the next two hadith, hadith number 76 and hadith number 77, both of them related to the same matter. Hadith number 76 is entitled, it, come, it came under the title of, in Al-Bukhari, the saying of, the, of Ameen aloud by the Imam. Yani that the Imam should say Ameen out loud. This hadith number 76. And hadith number 77, Al-Bukhari narrated it in a number of places. Uh, the one that we reported here is under the title, When Offering Prayer Alone, one can prolong it as much as one wishes. But he also narrated it under other chapter headings, the same hadith, if there's any time when we mention some of them. In any case, these two hadith, uh, in Umdat al-Ahkam, they are reported together, hadith number uh, 76. No, they are not reported together, sorry. Number 77 and number 78. At number 76, uh, here the hadith of Abu Hurairah, رضي الله عنه, أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم, that the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم said, إذا أمنا الإمام فأمنوا, that when the Imam says Amin, then the people should say Amin. فَإِنَّهُ مَنْ وَافَقَ تَأَمِينُهُ تَأَمِينَ الْمَلَائِكَةِ غُفِرَ لَهُ مَا تَقَدَّمَ مِنْ جَنْبِهِ The Prophet said when Imam says Ameen, then the people are ordered. He ordered us to say Ameen. The reason for this he says, for verily, whoever is saying of Ameen is pronounced at the same time as the angels say Ameen, then all of their previous sins would be forgiven. Here the Shaykh says the dua that is contained in Al-Fatiha in Al-Fatiha the dua that is contained in Al-Fatiha is of the best and most beneficial of all supplications. For this reason, it is legislated for the person who is praying, whether they are the Imam, or they are the Ma'moon, or whether they are praying alone. In every case, uh, after reciting Al-Fatiha, the person should say Ameen. And this Ameen is the seal of the Dua. It is the seal of the Dua that's contained in Surah Al-Fatiha. The Prophet ordered us to say Ameen when the Imam says Ameen because when the Imam says Ameen this is the time that the angels say Ameen. 
So whoever saying of Amin agrees with the saying of the angels, then their previous sins would be forgiven. And at the time when the Imam finishes Al Fatiha and he says Amin, this is the same time that the angels say Amin, and if we say Amin at the same time of the angels, then our sins would be forgiven. This is a very great reward and a precious opportunity that our sins can be forgiven in such an easy way just by saying Amin at the time when the angels say Amin and whoever and no one would allow such an opportunity to pass them by except those whom Allah has really prohibited and He has prohibited them or prevented them from all good here there is some point of istilaf and Imam Malik in one of the reports, one of the two reports that's reported from him said that the Imam, it is not legislated that the Imam says Ameen and Imam Malik in one of the two reports from him said that it is not legislated for the Imam to say Ameen and he explained this hadith to mean the Ameen uh, when the Imam reaches the place where he says Ameen that the people should say Ameen not that the Imam himself says Ameen this obviously is an explanation that's unacceptable because the hadith is very clear uh, that when the Imam says Ameen when the people should say Ameen this is the clear proof that the Imam actually should pronounce the words Ameen Imam Shafi'i and Ahmed rahimahullah, said that it is mustahab for the Imam as well as the Ma'moon, the follower, as well as the one who prays alone, not in congregation. And the one who is praying alone or the one who is praying in congregation, whether he is the Imam or the follower, it is mustahab that they should say Ameen based on this hadith that we have just mentioned. The third opinion is the opinion of the Zahiri, the literalists, and they said that it is wajib for everyone who performs prayer to say Ameen. They said that it is what? Obligatory. Uh, and actually, the apparent meaning of this hadith seems to be in accordance with the third opinion, the opinion of the Zahiri. That it is obligatory. Because in the hadith, the Prophet clearly in any case, it seems that the stronger opinion of the three is the last opinion, the opinion of the Zahiriya, that it is obligatory to say Ameen. According to the that we took previously, that a command indicates obligation. Whenever there is a command in the Quran, assuming it indicates everything is obligatory, unless there is another proof showing otherwise. From this hadith, the Shaykh Abdullah ibn Abdurrahman Ali Bassam, Hafizullah says, that we derive from this hadith a number of rulings, the first of them that it is legislated for the Imam and for the follower and for the person who prays alone to say Ameen after Al-Fatiha. Number two, uh, that the angels say Ameen to the dua of the people who pray. When we pray and we say Al-Fatiha, the angels say Ameen, and that our supplication should be answered. Ameen, it means or oh Allah answer, answer the supplication. So the angels pray for us. Or they say, I mean, they ask Allah to accept our supplication. Then he says that 
the intended meaning, or what appears to be the intended meaning of the angels here who say Ameen, are those angels who witness the Salat. Those who are on earth witnessing the Salat, or those angels who are in the heavens. And the fact that the angels in the heavens uh, are, are specifically of those angels who say Ameen, this is indicated by a hadith that's reported by Al-Bukhari in another place where he said إِذَا قَالَ أَحَدُكُمْ آمِينَ قَالَتْ الْمَلَائِكَةِ فِي السَّمَاءِ آمِينَ That when anyone of you says Ameen, then the angels that are in the heaven, they say Ameen فَوَافِقَ أَحَدُهُمَا الْآخَرِ غُفِرَ اللَّهِ لَهُ مَا تَقَدْمَ مِنْ ذَنْبِهِ يعني if anyone of you says Ameen and the angels who are in the heaven say Ameen and, they, and these two are in accordance or in agreement and if they come at the same time you saying Ameen and saying Ameen and say Ameen then your previous sins will be forgiven so this is, a, this is an indication that specifically the angels which are in the heavens are, are of those angels who say Ameen when we recite uh, Al-Fatiha in the Salat number three the virtuous nature or the superiority uh, of saying Ameen because saying Ameen is a cause or reason for the forgiveness of one's sins. Some of the scholars said that the sins here uh, mentioned in this hadith are the minor sins. And as for the major sins, then they require a tawbah or repentance. And this is a point that we've mentioned innumerable times, the difference of opinion amongst the scholars uh, concerning those hadith or those ayahs in the Qur'an that mention the forgiveness of sins is it absolute for all sins or is it only the minor sins? in any case even if it's only the minor sins we are in need for those sins to be forgiven and Allah knows best number four uh, that it is expected that the person who is supplicating and the person who is saying Ameen for that one who is supplicating yani the Imam who is reciting Al-Fatiha as well as the one people who are standing behind him saying Ameen or anyone who is supplicating whether the khatib and the khutbah of Jum'ah on any other occasion that someone is supplicating and the people are behind that person saying Ameen that both of them should be conscious they should yeah, have presence of mind while they are supplicating so that these are not just words being said but that it has yeah, the real meaning behind it when the Imam or when the Khatib or when anyone is supplicating and we are standing behind them we should be reflecting and thinking about what they are saying and conscious of the fact that when we say Ameen this is a request to Allah to answer our supplication also he says point number five that Imam al-Bukhari rahimahullah used this hadith as a proof that it is legislated for the Imam to say Ameen out loud some of the scholars especially from the Hanafi Madhab said that Ameen should not be said out loud and that Ameen is not said out loud and that's why in some places where the Hanafi Madhab is widespread if anyone goes to one of those masjids you will not hear anyone saying Ameen and if you say Ameen you will be looked at as though you are doing something very strange but here Al-Imam Al-Bukhari Rahimahullah uh, used as a proof that the Imam should say Ameen out loud this very hadith because this hadith connects the saying of Ameen of the followers to the saying of Ameen of the Imam and how can the followers say Ameen at the same time as the Imam unless they hear the Imam saying Ameen 
Al-Imam Bukhari Allah, says that this is a proof that the Imam should say Amin out loud and this is also the opinion of the Jamhur or the majority of scholars and it is the opinion of the majority of scholars that the Imam should say Amin out loud if you look at the hadith contained in this chapter and the extra hadith which we mentioned you'll see that the hadith seems to be clear that the, the person uh, who is reciting Al-Fatiha as well as those who are following should say Amin out loud uh, and some of the also and we mentioned here and that contained in, uh, in the book that we are reading from but Imam Bukhari we mentioned here um, some of the sayings of the scholars from among Sahaba and the Tabi'een those who came after them concerning Amin Imam Bukhari in the chapter heading mentions uh, chapter heading of the first hadith on the 75 mentioned the following sayings that Aqa who was one of the Tabi'een Rahimahullah said Amin is an invocation Amin is a dua it should be said Ibn al-Zubayr that is Abdullah ibn al-Zubayr the son of al-Zubayr who is one of the ten people promised paradise may Allah be pleased both of them his son Abdullah and the people behind him they said Amin loudly until the masjid echoed and they said it so loud until you could hear their voice vibrating or echoing in the masjid Abu Hurairah used to call out to the Imam if he was coming to the Salat after the uh, prayer had already begun and the Imam was about to finish Al-Fatiha he used to say do not say Ameen he used to call out to the Imam and say do not say Ameen before me that is before I join the role for the prayer and Nafi the student of Abdullah ibn Umar said that Abdullah ibn Umar never missed Ameen and he used to urge the people to say it and Nafi continued, I heard something good about it from him, yani from Abdul ibn Umar. I heard him saying something good about the saying of Ameen or concerning the reward or benefit of saying Ameen out loudly. And these things are contained in the Sahih al-Bukhari, the new printing of it, uh, volume 1, page 434 to 435, chapter 111. The final point that the Shaykh mentions is uh, that it is preferable and it is praiseworthy that the one who is supplicating should imitate the angels in all of their characteristics that are a cause for the acceptance of dua and all of the things that the angels do which are a cause or a reason for one supplication to be accepted the people who supplicate should imitate the angels in such such as tadarra' wal khushu' wa tahara that is being in a submissive or humble state of mind, having consciousness of Allah and in a state of purity and being in a state of purity or tahara when a person supplicates even if it's not in prayer that this is one of the causes of prayer of supplication being accepted and also that one's clothing and food and drink should be lawful and consciousness of mind, the heart being present uh, <coughs> and that a person should yani, hope and expect from Allah uh, that their supplication is accepted in every condition and in every case a person should always go forward to Allah and hope that Allah accepts from them their supplications the next hadith is hadith number 77 the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu and the Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said إِذَا صَلَّ أَحَدُكُمْ لِلنَّاسِ فَلْيُخَفِّفْ If any one of you leads the people in prayer 
then he should be brief or he should shorten the prayer. فَإِنَّ فِيهِمْ أَوْ مِنْهُمْ الْضَعِيفُ وَالسَّقِيمُ وَذَا الْحَجَةِ الْحَاجَةِ يعني preferably amongst the people who are following the Imam are those who are weak, those who are sick, and those who have needs to attend to. وَإِذَا صَلَّ أَحَدُكُمْ لِنَفْسِهِ فَلْيُطَوِّلْ مَا شَاءَ And if anyone of you prays alone, يعني not needing anyone in prayer, then he may mention his prayer as he wishes or as he wills. No need to worry about being brief. Some of the narrations of Imam al-Bukhari, uh, in various places he mentioned this hadith, and he mentioned that the Imam should be brief when he leads the people in prayer, for amongst them are the da'if, saqim, and kadir, those who are weak, those who are sick, and those who are elderly. And in the other place he said, al-marid, wal-da'if, wal-hajah, that amongst you are the sick, and the weak, and those who have needs to attend to. And in another place he said, da'if, wal-kadir, wal-hajah, the weak, and the elderly, and the one who is in need. Uh, from here you can see that in a number of places Imam Bukhari marries the wording slightly different and from amongst those people who are behind the Imam due to which the Imam should be careful not to be lengthy in the prayer to make a hardship on the people is that there are those behind him who are weak those behind him who are elderly those, those behind him who may be sick and those behind him who may have needs that they have to attend to. Maybe they are businessmen who left their shops and they have to get back. They may be uh, mothers uh, who perhaps may have children with them as it happened sometimes that some of the children came to the masjid and even the women came to the masjid uh, on the occasion when the Prophet ﷺ delayed the Isha prayer and they were calling him to come out. Umar ibn Khattab said that the women and children have fallen asleep. So this is an indication that even sometimes the women and children used to come to the masjid. So this is a consideration that there are people who have needs to attend to and those people should be considered. The Imam should not lengthen the prayer for such. But if anyone prays alone, then they may lengthen the prayer as they like. Also, uh, containing the same meaning is the hadith, hadith number 78, the hadith of Abi Mas'ud al-Ansari, البدري رضي الله عنه ما ربي فيز لهم هيسد جاء رجل إلى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فقال يا رسول الله إني والله لا أتأخر عن صلاة الصبح وأزكى من البخاري الغدات من أجل فلان مما يطيل بنا فيها هيسد من المان كين تقول لنا والله صلى الله عليه وسلم هيسد أمس جاب الله Verily, I swear by Allah that I delay, I have avoided coming to the morning prayer, the Fajr prayer, due to so-and-so, a particular person who lengthens the prayer or leaves us in the, in the prayer with a lengthy yeah, recitation. Uh, then he said, the narrator says, فَمَا رَأَيْتُ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمَ قَدْ أَشَدَّ غَدَبًا في موعظة منه يومئذ I never saw the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم in any speech that he made or any advice that he gave to the people more angry in the speech ثم قال then the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم said يا أيها الناس إن منكم منفرين he went out to the people and he said all people really there are amongst you those who يعني run people away 
or frighten people away or and he calls people to avoid being good in this case he meant the salat فَأَيُّكُمْ مَا صَلَّ بِالنَّاسِ فَالْيُوجِزْ So any one of you who needs the people in prayer then be brief and he shorten the prayer don't lengthen it فَإِنَّ فِيهِمْ فَبَرْلِي amongst them or in some narrations فَإِنَّ مِنْ وَرَائِهِ those who are, are they are those behind you الْكَبِيرُ وَالصَّغِيرُ وَذَالْحَاجَرُ and they are amongst you those who are elderly as well as those who are young children and those who have need to attend to the Shaykh Abdullah al-Bassam Hafirullah mentions concerning this hadith the, meaning, the general meaning of this hadith that the noble Islamic Sharia or law has come with ease and facility and it negates that which is a hardship or difficulty on the people for this reason the Salat which is of the most important of all acts of obedience in it the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam ordered the Imam to be brief in order to make it easy for the people who are, who are behind him uh, and so that the people would come out of the prayer yeah, and being inclined towards the prayer and, and not finding the prayer difficult or heavy upon them uh, because from amongst those who are following the Imam there may be those who may find difficulty if the Imam prays for a long time due to their inability to stand or due to sickness or due to some need that they may have to attend to but if anyone is praying alone then they may lengthen their prayer as much as they like for this will not cause harm to anyone and also he says that it was disliked by the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that anyone should lengthen the prayer because this caused harm to the people and this prevents the people from doing good deeds or from joining the prayer so when that person, a man came to the Prophet وسلم, and informed him that he used to avoid the morning prayer in jama'ah and congregation because the Imam that was leading them in the prayer used to lengthen the prayer, the Prophet وسلم, became very angry, extremely angry, and he said that verily amongst you are those people who run people away from obedience to Allah, who cause people to dislike the salat or make it difficult for them. So any one of you who leads the people in the prayer and let them be brief primarily they are amongst you those people who are unable and those people who have need to attend to uh, there is a difference of opinion in this hadith but let us take the, the points or the rulings that the shaykh derived from the hadith first in case there is not enough time to complete it the first thing he says from this hadith or from these two hadith, the last two hadith we, we understand that it is obligatory that the Imam should be brief in the congregational prayer not be lengthy and of course brevity or lengthiness is relative what some people may consider as being lengthy others may say it's very short and what some people may consider uh, as being short other people may say no it's too long you always find that some people will not be happy with the Imam no matter when he makes the prayer short or long some people are not going to be happy but anyway, what the real indication of what's short along is according to what we found the Prophet ﷺ being in his sunnah. And also in consideration of the people that are behind you. If all the people that are behind you are young people and they're not old people, then there's no harm in being more lengthy. But if the people are elderly people, if you know that they are sick people, if you know that they are people, for example, in the marketplace, all the people have to go back to their businesses, and this is also a consideration that the Imam should look at. Number two, uh,
that the Prophet ﷺ was very angry with those who made difficulty on the people or made hardship on the people and entered in the prayer. And he considered this to be uh, making fitna or trial or test or hardship on the people. And this is mentioned in another hadith when he addressed Mu'adh bin Jabal radiallahu anhu. And he used these particular words and he asked him, are you making a fitna for the people? Are you one of those who make a fitna for the people? Number three, in this hadith, the permissibility of lengthening the salat for the one who prays alone as much as they like. And this should yani, be without going to the extreme and lengthening it, that is the prayer shouldn't go beyond the time of the prayer. And no one should pray so long that they pray into the time of the next prayer, that they pray the prayer out of its time. <coughs> Number four, uh, that it is obligatory for the Imam to consider those who are unable to stand long and those who have needs. It is obligatory for the Imam to consider this when he performs the prayer. Number five, that there is no harm in lengthening the prayer if the number of those who are following the Imam are few and that those who are following him prefer that he lengthen the prayer. And if the followers in the congregation are few and they ask the Imam to lengthen the prayer, as happened in some places in some of the masjids, the people ask the Imam to lengthen the prayer, then there is no harm in doing so because this is not considered to be a hardship on the people. Number six, and the last thing that he mentions, uh, that it is expected that everyone should try to make it easy on others to do good. Yani making the way or the road to doing good, we should make it easy. And we should try to cause people to love doing good. We should encourage people in doing good. Uh, and this is one of the good aspects of Islam. That Islam yeah, encourages the doing of good and the people of Islam encourage one another in the doing of good. And we try to make it easy in various ways and whatever way we can we try to make it for others uh, to do good, to do the acts of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Is there any time remaining for the other? Huh? <laughs> Uh, let us try and then just finish the point of ikhtilaf, this is the last hadith in the chapter of Imam and then inshallah in the coming week we will deal with the characteristics or the description of the salat. Here he says that the scholars differ. There are a number of authentic hadith which describe the prayer of the Prophet and how long it was. Uh, some of the people said that his prayer was so long that when he made takbir, a person could go to Al-Baqiyah, the cemetery in Medina, and relieve themselves, and then return and make wudu, and they would still find the Prophet ﷺ in the first rak'ah. Yani when, when the Prophet made takbir, if a person had to go to the bathroom, they could go to Baqiyah and relieve themselves, come back and make wudu and join the prayer, and he was still in the first rak'ah. This is an indication of how long the prayer was. Uh, and then he used to recite from the long chapters of the Qur'an such as Al-Baqarah, Surah Al-Nisa, Al-A'raf, uh, and so on. There are other authentic hadith which show that the Prophet ﷺ used to shorten the prayer, make it brief. And from amongst them are these two hadith which indicate that the Imam shouldn't lengthen the prayer and make it a hardship on the people. And in some of the hadith he mentioned that he used to recite such as Surah Al-Kafirun, Surah Al-Ikhlaf, and other such short surahs.
so the people differed concerning these two types of hadith some of them following the hadith which indicate lengthening the prayer and some of them following the hadith which indicate shortening the prayer uh, and the truth of the matter is that we should combine between these two hadith and that there is no contradiction or conflict between the actions of the Prophet and the authentic hadith of the Prophet all of them are in agreement uh, these two issues of the lengthening of the prayer, shortening of the prayer, are relative. Uh, because the people are of different types, there are those people who consider the immediate or the moderate prayer, some people consider it to be long, they say it's too long, even though it's moderate, and the same exact prayer other people will say it's too short. So this is relative to the people who are standing behind you. So in any case, the final judgment and what is considered to be long and short should be the hadith of the Prophet We should look at how in the Fajr prayer, for example, or in the Zohar prayer, how he used to recite. In the Zohar prayer he used to recite 30 ayats in the first rakah and half of that in the second rakah. And in some of the hadith he said in the Asr prayer he used to recite half of that, yeah, and 15 ayahs in the first rakah, and half a number of that in the second rakah and Asr prayer. And in the Fajr prayer he used to recite from 60 to 100 ayahs, and so on. We should look and consider how the Prophet وسلم, used to read uh, the prayer, what he used to recite in the prayer. And we should follow what he did, and implement all of those hadith, uh, those in which he lengthened and those in which he shortened. And one of the scholars, Al-Sanani, Muhammad ibn Ali Al-Sanani, the great scholar from Yemen, who did the explanation, Subh uh, al he says that the Prophet used to lengthen the prayer because he was aware of those who were behind him. If he knew that it was not a hardship on them, then he would lengthen the prayer in that case. Uh, and that his command to shorten the prayer was especially in general for the ummah in general that we should shorten the prayer but if the imam knows that the people can bear it then there is no harm in lengthening the prayer this is the end of what we wanted to say of this chapter and we have finished the bab al-imamah inshallah the next chapter is bab sifat al-salat al-bin which we will continue next week if there are any corrections or comments or questions before we go to the salat we can take maybe a couple of questions Number three, is only. number three from which hadith? Hadith number seven, 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 seven. <laughs> no, number three, uh, the permissibility of the person who prays alone. The permissibility of the person praying alone, mentioning the prayer as much as they like. As long as that person doesn't pray to the extent that they perform a prayer outside of its time. I mean, the prayers have limits. So it should be within the limits of the prayer. Within that limit, they may lengthen the prayer as much as they like. And inshallah, that amount of time is sufficient. <laughs> the time between one prayer and the next is plenty. There's no need for more time than that. Any other question? Okay, let me just quickly mention here one thing that uh, I just made some notes here concerning some of the hadith. Uh, uh, some of the narrations that Imam al-Bukhari reported this hadith of Abu Mas'ud he reported a number of places under different chapter headings and I'm only mentioning this as a benefit to see how Imam al-Bukhari used to take one hadith and narrate it in different places under different chapter headings 
due to the fiqh that he derived from that hadith, different points of fiqh. So here Al-Imam Al-Bukhari rahimahullah, mentioned the hadith of Abu Mas'ud in a number of places. In one place he mentioned it under the title Al-Ghadab fil Maw'idha wa Ta'aleem idha ra'a ma yakrahu. That the anger that may be expressed in the person when they are giving a speech or a warning or advice to the people or in teaching the people is permissible to express and to show anger if the one who is teaching the people sees something that's makroo, that is detestable then it's permissible to express that which they want to say to the people yani, through their anger in the same hadith, and Imam Bukhari narrated another place under the, under the chapter heading Takhfif al-Imam fil Qiyam that the, that the Imam may lighten the, the standing in the prayer wa itmam ar-ruku wa sujood but he, but he should make the bowing and the frustration complete he should perfect it but the lightning in the prayer, shortening of the prayer doesn't mean in the ruku and sujood but it means in the standing, the qiyam, the recitation this, this is the same hadith and Imam Bukhari narrated in this chapter in another place he narrated the same hadith bab man shaka imamahu ila tawwala the one who complained against his Imam when he made the prayer too long. Same hadith he narrated under this heading. Yani that is permissible. If the Imam is too long in the prayer, it's permissible to complain to the leader of the Muslims or whoever appointed him or whoever is in authority over him about him mentioning the prayer. In another place, Imam Bukhari narrated the same hadith under the bab, ma yajuz min al ghadab wa shidda li amri Allah ta'ala. Yani what is, is that it is permissible, or to what extent is permissible to become angry and to be harsh and stern concerning something that is of the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yani it is permissible in some cases to be harsh and to be stern in the matters of Allah. Yani what Allah has ordered the people to do if they violate it or contradict it or conflict with it, then it's permissible to express anger and harshness. And finally in another place you mentioned this hadith from the bad Hal Yaqdi Al Qadi Al Yufti and is it permissible or is it right for the judge to make a ruling or a judgment or to make a fatwa, a legal judgment while he is angry? Is it permissible? The same hadith, the Imam Bukhari narrated under this chapter heading, another issue, the issue of the fact that the Prophet was angry when he addressed the people concerning the Imam who lengthened the prayer. So is it permissible for the party, for the judge, to make a ruling or a judgment or a fatwa while he is angry, this is another chapter heading. These different chapter headings, I only mention them as an example of how Imam al-Bukhari used to narrate one hadith in four or five or six or seven different places and he used to narrate it under different chapter headings which showed the fiqh, the great and the understanding of Imam Bukhari in fiqh, how he used to derive rulings from the hadith uh, and the chapter headings, as we said previously, in the Sahih of al-Bukhari are placed there by Al-Imam Bukhari himself. The chapter headings are the fiqh or the understanding of Al-Imam Bukhari, rahimahullah, as opposed to the chapter headings in Sahih Muslim, uh, which are not placed there by Al-Imam Muslim, but those chapter headings in the Sahih of Muslim were placed by the scholars who came after him, such as Al-Qadi, Iyad, Al-Imam Al-Nawawi, Al-Qurtubi, and others who did explanations of Sahih Muslim. سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك أشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت استغفرك وأتوب إليك. بسم الله.